All right. <laughs> I sprinted over from the varsity show. You see, I'm a little sweaty here. No. <laughs> but uh yeah, now we're in it running with war, the official NBA, official pro basketball podcast, we should say, of We Are Regal Radio, War Media. And this once again is your man Kyle Means here, editorial director. And uh, senior writer Josh Joshua M. Hicks, a.k.a. Joshua A. Hicks, is joining me, the host of the Endoscope podcast as well, but uh, definitely a runner, supreme, always with us here. And, um, yeah, we got a uh, – we're only in half formation here. We may have someone else join us before the before the hour. But, uh, you know, we just we – just, you know – we could always talk hoop amongst ourselves, and uh, you know that's what we're gonna do for the next hour. We'll talk about some things. We're running up into the the postseason proper now with the NBA. They're gonna have the playing games, the playing game, I should say, on Saturday. Uh, figure out that eighth spot in the Western Conference, and uh, a lot of the playoffs matchups are actually set, settled as of now. But, uh, you know, it's been some a lot of interesting play. A lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people have been showing out in the, in the bubble. Uh, the Suns have finished out today, went 9-0 and in the bubble. Didn't take one L, but they're not even going to be in the playing game, man. Let's start with that, Josh. What do you think about that, man? They, they Book has been, been awesome, man. They even got campaign out there playing and hooping, man, which, you know, it has to hurt us Bulls fans, man, who saw him play up here, but he's been doing well. And, you know, they, like I said, they're not going to have a chance to play in the playoffs, even though they've gone nine and oh, but they look like a threat going forward in the, in the West. Yeah. The Suns are interesting because they show that if you have the right coaching staff, your, your talent can develop in a way that you may not be relevant to see campaign is a prime example of that. I mean, Cameron Payne, like you mentioned, played for the Bulls. And he digressed to a point where you technically could write him off as a bust in the NBA until yeah. he comes to Phoenix and he's playing and doing things that we like. Like I think I saw you tweeted before uh, earlier today. He's doing things that we didn't even know he can really do. <laughs> but <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, but you won't know that unless you have the right coaching staff that knows how to bring bring that out of you. And it's a and that's this just really shows the shows the um. Basically, the league that Monty Williams was ready to be a head coach. Monty Williams was made to help develop talent. He was made to be a good coach within the league, and his time has shown it. And it's showing out now. It seems like Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden have really built a connection as a as a nice duo or a tandem of the team. Um, we saw role players that are rookie rookie pretty much role players that have emerged in Cameron Johnson and Mikael Bridges, who I personally when we when we first talked about it, I wanted the Bulls to draft Mikael Bridges. Um, yeah, I liked him too coming out of school, yeah. Yeah, he was a good pick for them, and you see why. He's, he's a great two-way, two-way defender. Um, and having that on the – and having those two players on both wings really aid the Suns defensively. Um, and even De- and even Devin Booker, he may not be known as a defender, but you could show there was, there was moments in this bubble where he did step up defensively when needed the most. And comparing that with, you know, Ricky Rubio and the – and the backcourt that 
seem to really emerge, especially off the bench, not just between Cameron Payne, but even Javon Carter, Proviso East native, um, yeah. that that showed up for the Suns. He's known as a defense, defensive specialist, but he was, even came out in, in a couple of games and knocked down some important threes to really help bring the Suns um, over the hump. So for, for anything, even though the Suns didn't make the playoffs, the Suns really earned a lot of respect within the league and with this undefeated bubble. And because of that, now you really have to question moving forward, could this be the start of a foundation to where the Suns are technically on the verge of really coming back into the into the Suns of old with a little remix compared to the scoring threat that they have with some considering the fact that when during the days of the days of Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire, Sean Marion, Grant Hill, Q Rich, and those guys they didn't have a prolific score like Devin Booker did. Like like they do now with Devin Booker. But the Suns are really interesting moving forward. And you have to wonder if this was a good start from the offseason perspective to where maybe this could be an ideal ideal situation to where even though we would love to see Devin Booker leave Phoenix to go to a primary team and really ball out, you may wonder if this could be a foundation where he can actually start potentially at least put in an idea of bringing some, bringing some people over to Phoenix, especially with the fact that now Monty Williams is really getting the respect he deserves. Yeah, definitely. And I think that would be better for the league if that happens. And, you know, uh, uh, my, uh, you know, my man in, in Golden State had to take the had to take the hit to his pockets because he he did the tampering on TNT. <laughs> but you know, it, it, I'm, I'm, a lot of people say he might end up getting traded for Booker to go to Golden State. <laughs> that would be funny. But um, you know, it, it it I would like to see him stay there and build with the guys that he's got and like I say bring maybe one more big talent over there and they should be able I think next year they'll be in the playoffs. But for them to possibly make a run where they can be be a championship contender again, you know, they gonna need another guy and that would be that'd be pretty cool if that happens in Phoenix and, and happens with uh you know Booker taking the lead, you know, and, and not just being another guy on a on a loaded team, you know. Yeah, and I think that's what really set Devin Booker apart because his scoring was hasn't changed. I mean, he averaged no, thirty yeah. plus in the bubble. He scored seventy two years ago in Boston. Like, right, he, he's a he been a he, he, he been a gunner, man. He can get <laughs> gunner. Yeah, for sure. But I think what made set him apart was his leadership in the his leadership within the bubble was was magnificent, especially yeah. considering the fact that he actually was a facilitator. I want to say he averaged five or six assists within the bubble, being the a two guard like a two a two guard like that that can pass some point guard skills and still be able to set up for his teammates and trust his teammates enough to where they they can actually produce. That's that's where you, that's where you take things in the, to the next level when you think of talking about a guy of Devin Booker's status, status when you consider the fact that he's been known as just a regular scorer and that's all you can do. The fact that he can actually take a game to another level and actually facilitate on the court and create for others. That's going to be a huge, huge step for others that, you know, they'll be paying attention to, and it's a big thing for the Suns moving forward. Yeah, he's twenty. He's twenty-three. He, he won't know, turn twenty-four until till October, man. And, and you know, he he can't. He won't be. He won't be the youngest MVP because you know D Rose was already that at that at twenty-three. So he he go, the oldest he could be is twenty-four to be an MVP. The youngest he could be, I should say. And that if he did it next year, but I I think he could be a contender next year, especially if the Suns are a top team in the in the West, you know. So 
that's definitely something to watch out for. Like I, I love to see them play. I'd have loved to have seen them play on Saturday, but we will have another young team that's on the, that's potentially on the rise in Memphis, even though they didn't play very well in the bubble. But they'll be going against Portland, who is tipping off right now against Brooklyn uh, to wrap up their bubble games, their, their uh, seeding games, I should say. And, you know, what 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 about them right now? You know, we, we've gone into that a little bit in past weeks with, with Portland, but, you know, they're a fun team to watch. Lillard has just been snapping on everybody on the court and off the court. <laughs> he really don't care. <laughs> He's telling Skip Skip Bayless what he thinks of him, man. He, he's telling the you know the Clippers what he thinks of them, and he's going out there scoring 50, 60 a night, man. This Lillard is he's you know we'll go into this in a little bit with the all bubble teams, but I think he's the MVP right now in the bubble season, man. What what do you think, Josh? No, I definitely agree. Damian Lillard showed that he's. I mean, he said it before before this bubble even started. He said, "If I'm going to the bubble." We're going to compete. We're going to win. I want to win, and that competitive fire just really, really came out of came out during the bubble. Um, especially as of recent, he's one of those people where you don't want to take off, and the Clippers took that chance. I mean, obviously it's Patrick Beverly, Chi Town native, so <laughs> for him to be a, that type of you know for Patrick Beverly to do that is not surprising. It's kind of in yeah. his nature. That ain't never scared. Yeah, know, but, but sometimes you bark up the wrong tree. That, that, that's true, and. Paul George should have known that. They both should have known that. That's why D. Lil said what he said. I took, I took, I sent both of y'all home already. <laughs> I had the experience, especially Paul George, in the in the fashion that he was sent home. Um, the fact that he had he's able to back up his talk is what makes D. Lil so uh so phenomenal and, and and so underrated as a superstar. I think this this these performances are unfortunately what Portland needs just to even stay afloat just because they do have a thin bench and the fact that TJ McCollum's not fully healthy although Melo has come into his own on this team he is aging so we have to wonder how long he's going to keep that up and D'Lo's one of the only main consistent ones so far and he's been shown that he's willing to put him on his back but you wonder how long that's going to carry especially if you're talking about playing in a seven-game series where even though the Lakers are technically thin, if they were to get to the playoffs, the Lakers do have some – they do have LeBron and, and Anthony Davis, and that's a tough project to handle. So you really just have to wonder how long that can carry, especially when you're talking about a playoff LeBron James, which is a completely different animal. Yeah. Yeah, you, you got to figure at some point the Lakers are going to ramp things up. They, You know, they've been more about conser- conserving themselves over the last – Especially over the last half of these seeding games, because they know that they clinched, they've been had the, the number one seed clinch. There's not much for them to play for in these seeding games. You know, do you want them to look a little better, a little sharper than they have? Yeah, but like I said, these aren't the these aren't the most important games for them. And LeBron knows when to wrap it up when when, when the most important games come along. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see you know who gets out of that playing game. And you know, if if somehow I think it's if, if Memphis somehow does it, I don't see that being a very com, uh, competitive series. You know, there's a there's more of a potential for it with Portland, but like you say, Josh, even that is going to be a, a a stretch. You know, you know, even as well as they've been playing. You know, we got, but we got to see. You know, how this, how this is going to be. It's, 
We haven't seen a playoffs like this before. We haven't seen a playoffs played on neutral court. And, um, you know, that there won't be the travel that's involved. And, uh, you know, we'll see how much of a difference that makes. Oh, we got Chris on. Let's bring Chris in. Something how you doing, more. sir? Crazy. What's happening? My man. Hey, look at Josh with the throwback ESPN Chicago. I see you, boy. <laughs> Shout out to shout out to Jay Hood for getting on that morning show, man. Yes, most definitely, most definitely. It's gonna be nice. Him and Cap gonna be going at it. I want. I'm definitely gonna check that out. David Kaplan, man. (laughs) (laughs) You got you got got something you want to say, there, Chris? No, no, he's cool. Like I, I remember a throwback. He he's just he's so he's earnest. I think is the thing. He's always up for his opinions, but. I remember I called him a schmuck on on Twitter once, and it wasn't like it wasn't it wasn't meant to be anything specific. I was just like I thought he sounded like a schmuck, and he responded to me, which is more than pretty much anybody else has done in a similar situation. So he's he's just so outspoken. I think it's it's hard to match his energy. So it's going to be an exciting show because I know Jonathan Hood can do that. Yeah, Kappa, he he ain't afraid of the smoke either. He. You know he been he been around Chicago. He he's a Chicago dude. Been in, you know, especially involved in the basketball scene here for a long time. So, mm-hmm. you know, he knows what he talks about. And but you know he he gets into his personality stuff every now and then. So, you know, maybe you do you do need to call him a schmuck every now. And that's why Jay Hood is good <laughs> against him. Because Jay Hood ain't gonna ain't gonna pull no punches either. So, they definitely look forward to that. But you know, Chris, man, we was just talking about. Uh, going into the the eighth seed stuff with the West, and um, you know, sort of, you no, know, we, we were sort of uh, giving the Suns their flowers, which you no know, been deserved because they did a great job in the bubble, but you know, because of where they started, they, they they didn't do good enough to, well, they did as good as they could do. They went nine and zero, but they were too far back to get into the playing game, which is going to be Portland and uh, and Memphis. So I don't know. You want to just give some thoughts on that whole situation overall between, you know, the Suns playing the way that they played and, you know, the future that's potentially there for them and, you know, uh, you know, seeing, you know, what we what we're gonna see with Portland and, and Memphis. You know, any thoughts on that as well? Um, just first for the Suns, it was cool to to watch them do what they did. They they got a lot of props, which is well deserved. We I think among the three of us and more people at, at war media have been uh, high on Monty Williams for as long as we can, as I can remember, yeah. I know he should, he should be coaching the bulls if management knew what they were doing. So it's good to have him in Phoenix. Devin Booker is a scoring machine. The likes that we haven't seen. Um, honestly, it, it's hard because there's so many guys who can put the ball in the basket, but he's such a, it's not an at-will scorer. It's just that he can score so fluidly. It's it's hard to contextualize for me in this moment. But it, it, that said, I'm still not – I don't like that the, the NBA decided to bring 13 teams just so they could have games because these guys are still putting themselves at risk. They're putting their bodies at risk just from day-to-day basketball playing, like guys could get injured – Guys could get hurt. Guys could catch. Um, guys could be diagnosed with COVID. Guys could catch coronavirus. Things like that. But man, I get the Suns lived up to the billing. 
they put themselves in the best position they could possibly put themselves in, and they're still not going to the playoffs. So it's like it's a double edged. It's not a double edged sword. It's it's just kind of what does it amount to at the end? Who's going to be talking about this next year? Who's going to be talking about that performance next year? We might we will have clips. We'll remember some things, but it's just kind of a gone into the wind now. So that said, for the playoff matchup, Portland, I think, is going to face the Lakers. I don't think that they're going to be – I don't know if it's going to go to a, a third game if, 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 I'm, if I'm right and Portland got over the top of the Grizzlies and got that eighth spot. Either way, I think Portland wins that little play-in series and they're going to face the Lakers for best of seven. I don't think that they have what they need to win. They're a different team than last year, the team that got swept by the Warriors in the first round. But I still think that they're a little undermanned in terms of who they're going up against. Um, LeBron James is is otherworldly in his career in first rounds of the playoffs. So uh, Anthony Davis is playing at a high level, as, as you would expect. And the Lakers on the whole, when you have a team with LeBron that's bought in, that first year, maybe the second year is usually when teams – um, they're pulling on the same rope because there's guys who won the championship and they're playing with LeBron and there's kind of that aura. They're, they're pretty much pulling on that same rope. You saw when they beat the Nuggets the other night. So I love Portland. I think they might win a game or two off of L.A., but the Lakers are going to move forward. But I think it's going to be a nice series to watch the Lakers and the Blazers. Yeah, reason, you know, reasonable take there. I, I, I'm willing to agree with that. It's, you know, we, That's kind of what I just said before you came on. Like, Portland – can give them a cup. They can give them some competition, but you know the Lakers. Uh, they got to turn it up at some point. And uh, you know when they do, you know what? You, what are they going to do uh, against against their overall length up front? You know they're going to, you know, rotating Davis and and uh, in and, and, uh, uh, what's my man uh, Javale. You know, up front there and, and Howard as well. You gotta say it. JaVel McGee. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the only thing I don't like about the Lakers uh, on a fundamental level is I just don't like their rotation and the guards right now. You know, I I would love I would like it more if they had Rondo there or if they had uh you know just someone a little more reliable than waiters or or jr that they brought in you know i think there's some trouble to be had there but you know lebron he's gonna he's gonna nip whatever in the bud that he needs to nip if those guys go off the reservation so you know we'll we'll see how that plays out but let's look at let's look at the matchups because the matchups are pretty much set up now outside of one eight in the west and um like in two seven you got the clippers and the mavericks the three six, you got the uh, uh, Utah and uh, Denver. Denver's gonna be the three C with Utah in the six, and four five, you got uh, Houston and Oklahoma. I think there's potential. There's some potential for entertainment in all those series, especially Oklahoma and and uh, in Houston. But uh, what what are, what among those series? What what are the ones that uh which which ones? How would you rank those series, uh, as far as entertainment value potential? Man, it's tough. Um, obviously you got to. I think for me, you got to put Houston OKC number one. 
Um, that's going to be anytime you have Russell Westbrook and James Harden playing against the same team that they that basically got rid of them, and you playing and that other team is Chris Paul. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's going to get a little, a little, a little feisty. And, yeah. And I and I and that's but that's playoff basketball, and that's something that I definitely love for sure, especially since Russ. And at one point, Russ and James were going at it on numerous occasions, and one of those components had Chris Paul in it. Now it's the opposite. So you just wonder how that's going to play out. Um, and I mean, if you're talking about from a full entertainment standpoint, you obviously got if the we assume the Trailblazers are going to get in, but Damian Lillard against LeBron, you got to put that in there. Melo against LeBron, um, you got to put in there. Um, to me, honestly, I, I don't want to know about entertaining, but something I actually am really looking forward to is that I think you said the three and six seed where the Jazz play the Nuggets. Yeah, yeah, that one. I'm actually really looking forward to that. Um, just because both teams are so unique in their skill sets. You have Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are obviously the go-to people for the Jazz, but Donovan Mitchell's style of play is gonna be is it's sometimes unguardable, especially if you do a pick and roll situation with Gobert. And that's something that the Denver Nuggets have struggled against is how to utilize Jokic defensively against Rudy Gobert. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, for me, Denver, they just got so many go-getters. You got go, you got Bo Bo who's starting to come into his own. Michael Porter Jr. blossom into this guy who's averaging 25 points a game, at least in the bubble. Yeah. Um, and that's not even the full roster. Jamal Murray hasn't fully emerged as of yet. Um, so it's like Denver is – very talented, has a lot of depth. And I just wonder how that's going to team up with Utah, even though they have lack of depth, they are disciplined, they know who they are, and they and they stick to what they know. And as long as they stick to what they know, they're always relevant and they always stay in close games. So you just wonder how that's really going to go, especially since even their last game they just played against each other. They went to double overtime, I want to say. Um, that it was Even that was exciting to watch. So for me personally, I'm really, I want to see how Denver's young talent and their depth is going to play against a very sm- a very smart, disciplined Popovich-esque type of team. Okay, Chris, what do you think about these uh, Western playoff series as they uh, set up? I agree with Josh on the excitement that's going to be found in that Denver-Utah series. It's funny, those two teams historically have been not not also Rams, but they're both um, veterans of the of the old uh, ABA. I know the Nuggets are uh, – the Jazz, sorry, not the Jazz. But the, um, the Nuggets are always known for this run and gun. And now, you know, they were before when they were Carmelo Anthony's team – and now they're led by kind of the most unlikeliest of NBA superstars in Nikola Jokic. Hmm. And like Josh said, they're going up against the Popovich-type team. Quinn Snyder always emphasizes defense, and that's anchored, anchored by uh, Rudy Gobert, who can roam further than many big men that we've had in this league. Uh, the Nuggets are, are kind of are going to lose some things without Will Barton. Will Barton's not a, not a superstar, but he's a solid role player who can give you a uh, shooting touch. And Gary Harris is the same kind of guy who can step outside and shoot very well. So that's – it's funny. We we watch this NBA now pretty much knowing who's going to have the best shot at the finals barring injury. But it's still exciting to watch the teams, you know, go at each other in the playoffs. 
And that's going to be a really fun series to watch. I, again, I think that Lakers Blazers series is going to be more entertaining than um, I actually can't think of anybody who's probably going to to undersell the Blazers at this point with the way the Dame is playing. Uh, so the one eight matchup might not be as much of a David and Goliath as as we come to expect previously. Then again, that is you know the Suns won their game today, and the 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 Trailblazers are still playing right now. So. Uh, depending on on tiebreakers, the Suns could sneak in unless there's something I missed. Uh, but that Mavericks Clippers, Luka Doncic, first time in the in the postseason against uh, the Clippers, who scuffled a bit down in the bubble, is going to be interesting. You know, the Mavericks have such an efficient offense. Rick Carlisle is a veteran, proven coach who is not going to give uh, give teams an easy time of it in terms of scoring. But the Clippers have the edge if they can keep the game close because I saw, I think, Josh Eberle um, posted on Twitter that the Mavericks were, like, top two in offensive efficiency, and then they were, like, 28 in clutch scoring, which doesn't make any sense with the players that they have and the coach that they have and the offense that they run. So I think that Clippers-Mavericks is going to be interesting. That could go seven which is probably going to be more hell on the Clippers than the Mavericks. So I think the 2-7 and the 3-6 that we talked about, along with that 1-8 series, are going to be really fun to watch. And you're talking about the other side of the bracket from the Lakers. So you, it's, we, we, could, we could see the start of something interesting there, especially if you see, like, the Mavericks take the Clippers to 7. What type of impact would that have on them going forward? Mm-hmm. And would that make them – would that make them a less viable uh, competition for the Lakers should they meet up in the conference finals? You never know. Maybe Denver gets hot and and makes you know makes a you know maybe maybe they could end up being the favorite coming out of that side of the bracket. You know, I I think it's very good, very good could be a very good chance that Denver makes it to the and and interrupts that battle of L.A. in the in the Western Conference Finals as well. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see, but um, looking at the, I guess let's make a, let's do a quick look at the East. You know, it's not as it's not as exciting as the West, but it's set up. You know, uh, wait, no, let's start and looking at the East. Let's start off with uh, the the funny thing that happened with Washington. Washington was the only team outside of the eight that did that was invited to the bubble. And Chris, you make you may mention this like. How many teams really should have gone to the bubble? Washington ends up being they're gonna be like tenth in the in the East, even though only nine teams in the East played in the bubble because <laughs> they suck so much that they fell behind Charlotte in regards to the to the number of games, you know, to the to their games, their spot behind uh number eight Orlando. They fell behind them. At one point, they were behind them and the Bulls in regards to games behind, you know, because the Bulls and, you know, the Bulls and Charlotte didn't play. So they they were winning by default, <laughs> whereas, you know, Washington was just adding games to their loss side and losing in their win, on their win percentage. So it's, it's one of the damnedest things, but it's something that, you know, was able to happen because you didn't have everybody play there. And I wrote on the website on Monday, well, maybe 
maybe you could have invited 24 teams. Maybe the, you could have had the Bulls at Charlotte down there, even though the Bulls would have likely embarrassed themselves worse than Washington probably did. But, I mean, you could have, or maybe you could have just, you could have left, left it to like 20 teams. You know, that's probably would have been more of a prudent thing. But, you know, it, I don't know. Let, let me get your thoughts on that first about, you know, just how, what was, Washington has to go down as the team that wasted everybody's time most down there. You know, I, 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 who, who, what team do you think wasted the most? I, I kind of think that New Orleans could be – you can make an argument for New Orleans too because they didn't play Zion like they should have. I know there's a lot of argument back and forth about Zion, but if he wasn't ready to play, then you shouldn't have brought him in there. And they didn't play him until the end when they were pretty much out. And they really like they really wasted a lot of time, I think, down there. It's the opposite of what I what we saw with uh Phoenix, who has done a lot to really give themselves momentum going into next year, whenever next season, whenever that is, they're gonna have momentum. I don't think that New Orleans has mo- much momentum right now. They gotta re they gotta re examine themselves, basically. I I can't man. It's hard to fathom that the Wizards lost every game they played, but at the same time, it's not. You know how much I've been defending the East to, to people over the last, I don't know how long, and then they bring a team that loses every single game that they play. <laughs> Washington is Washington is a, with a, is a town with so much dysfunctional sports, man. Like, I'm glad that the Nationals yeah. won. You know what? Let me, let, me, let me backtrack. The Nationals won – the World Series last year in one of the weirdest World Series ever. No home team won any games. They got a great, likable young star in Juan Soto, and all they had to do was not go to the White House. But then not only did Ryan Zimmerman, the the like the veteran of the team, go, Howie Kendrick, the black player veteran who had the <laughs> RBI to win the series, also decided, yeah, I'm going to go to the White House. They got the the Wizards who have been fighting with each other for about five years when they could have been contending for for at least the finals berth. They got the Washington football team, who I don't even need to say anything more about. And they got the Capitals. No. And the Capitals. Capitals won a couple are, years are ago. Yeah, they won. And they keep it real low key. And they seem to be doing all right amidst all that garbage. So they're like the team to follow in D.C. right now. But I don't know, you got goodness, the Mystics man. too, though. You're right. I apologize. Yeah, Mystics. Thank, Thank you, Josh. Josh. You, you, good. Yeah. Look, look at me. Look at me. Right, Josh. Yeah, Josh terrible. trumped you on the WNBA. He really did. <laughs> no, the Mystics. The Mist- <laughs> but even though the Mystics are scuffling now, that too. Reminds <laughs> me, that reminds me. That uh, Part of uh, we'll, we had we did our WNBA segment with Chris and James K yesterday, so you'll be able to hear that as part of this podcast. When I edit it together. Okay. I got the mic going. All right, so let me get going. All right. I'm not Hulk Hogan, and this isn't 85, but we're running wild. This is the Running With War podcast. And this week we have a special segment that we're doing. If you keep up with the show. You know that we, uh, you know, we do a WNBA talk uh, from week to week with our man Chris Pennant, you know, as part of the crew. But this week we 
we have not only Chris to do our WNBA talk with, but we have his uh, right-hand man, James K from the Skyhook Podcast. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Ed, James, great to have you on for the first time uh, with us. And, uh, you know, of course, Chris, everybody on the, uh, who listens to the show recognizes Chris. So it's just uh, good, to, good to have you guys together and, and get a, a little taste of what you guys present on your show of every week. Uh, so let's start off with, you know, just an introduction for those who don't know about the Skyhook podcast. Um, the title, of course, take uh, taking itself from the Chicago Sky and uh, the team that I guess you guys focus on most because you're both Chicagoans. And, um, you know, just, yeah, just give us a little insight into the podcast and what's your mission and what you guys try to do each week with it. Chris, do you want me to go or do you want to go? Hey, man, it's your, it's your, it's your baby. You know, you started the whole thing. Yeah, I mean... So I started this, the, the show when Dash Radio reached out to me and they wanted me to do a radio show. Um, it used to air on Dash Radio, um, but I kind of wanted to move away from it um, just because I wanted to do shorter shows. Um, but yeah, I started it last year, twenty so yeah, 2019, and I just love covering this team. Um, you know, we're really fortunate to be a part of the Winsider Podcast Network. They do incredible work, and they have a podcast for every team in the WNBA. So we're just contributing to that and, yeah, just giving Chicago Sky fans um, a podcast because they're, they're a uh, interesting, they're an avid fan base. So, we, uh, yeah, we just love providing that as much as we can. Okay. Hey. Yeah, it's can't add on too much other than that, other than just it's good to be. It's good to be discussing this. It's it's necessary. It's, it's I think everybody who, who watches even watches running with more knows uh, is basketball, and we love talking about this team. We love talking about the WNBA. Right, right. And Chris, you was you was I coming mean, on just as oh, go ahead, go ahead, James. I was just going to say that just going off that point, Chris. Just I whenever I tell people that I cover the WNBA and they give me that look. I know you guys know that look uh, where people judge you a little bit for, for that. And it's a moronic reason to, but mm. I just can't get past the idea of like, if you can have more basketball in your life versus having less basketball in your life, how do you not pick having more basketball in your life, man? I, I never got, never understood that as someone who covers high school sports or high school basketball to, you know, to the WNBA. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a good point, Chris. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's and, and and to join in with you guys on that, I think, you know, both of you guys have worked as journalists and have, you know, Chris, I, I, James, I know you've covered high school sports. I'm, I'm not sure, Chris, have you covered high school sports? Uh, probably just the the tournament, you know, the the, the elite classic up at Wintrust has been the most I've, I've covered okay. for high school. But you, um, yeah. But you, you come, you come from. I think we all come from a perspective of just appreciating sports overall, and not deep. You no, know, definitely, if you cover high school sports, you don't really afford yourself uh, the 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 ability, like that, as some people have, distastefully to separate men and women. You you kind of 
it's, it's a big part of your job to cover everything. So as a, there's a certain respect that you have ingrained in you t- for women's sports, you know, because you watch, you know, female athletes at every age. And, and I think it's important that as a sports fan, it's, it's done a lot for me to, I think, to enrich me as a sports fan to cover high school sports and cover cover girls and cover women as athletes and not just see them as some sideshow or something or some charity case, you know, to be able to tell their stories as well is important. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm guessing, James, that that's an important part of your mission. Absolutely. I mean, my intro column from when I got this job at Growing Community Media, where I'm the sports editor, in my column, I said, look, the way that I'm going to go about coverage is that if your team is successful, regardless of gender, I'm covering that team. Uh, that's where the spotlight should be. Um, I mean, who cares about, like, a football team that goes, like, 2-11, and 11, you know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> right. just not content that people would want to read about, and... Um, yeah, that's so far I've been, I've been trying real hard to do that. I mean, I cover eight athletic programs, so um, there's a lot of news to cover and a lot of coaches that I have to hear out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, sports are sports, man. Um, you know, a lot – I have gone back and looked at the analytics, and a lot of my features with female athletes compared to male athletes, they actually do better in terms of what people click on. Um, so I don't know, like – I mean, again, I don't think the reason is because of gender, but – People do have interest in women's sports, and I think that's a real important thing to, especially instill at the local level and show the community that, you know, that is important for the coverage that I provide. Yeah, I think history being what it's been and the fact that we still, you know, in sports particularly reflecting the larger, uh, the, the larger prejudices in society, you know, you, you, you almost have to have to advocate as much as just being a supporter of women's sports. You have to sort of advocate as well because there's still so many people who, like say, discount women's sports, they discount the WNBA in spite of all this success that it has had, all this evidence that it, you know, just looking at the games, looking at the athletes, you see that they are great athletes and they play the game of basketball well. But there's still so many guys who think that for some reason they could hang with those girls and stuff. And, you know, of course, they're sadly misguided or or at the least they think that it's not worthy of their time or their viewership. And it's like, you know, come on, man, if you, you're not really a hoop head. I think if you if you don't understand what's was dope about WNBA on a on a base level and as and also in on a level as an advocate as well. Yeah, um, it's hard to figure out how to adequately normalize that from from the perspective of the people who need to be who need to um, get with. Because I was, I always tell people I was that asshole in high school who <laughs> was cracking WNBA jokes. I was okay, um, and it really didn't turn over for me until I got to college. Um, it, it didn't turn over for me completely until I got to college and was in basketball band and we played for, we know Bradley didn't have a football team. So we played for basketball games. We played for the men's games and the women's games and the men's games were the civic center downtown. And for most of my career, 
the women played across the river at Illinois Central College mm. because they tore down the old field house and rebuilt, uh, rebuilt the place. And for about two or three years of my four years there, the women's team was better than the men's team. We, uh, Bradley men's, went to the NIT my freshman year, and then they went to these two, you know, two creative posting tournaments to see by the NIT. And Bradley women's team, they, they had at least two 12 game in 20 win seasons. Mm. With the previous I'm appreciated Sue Bird, uh, you know, <laughs> for, for a long time, appreciate Sue Bird, no matter what her uh, status was with the guys. Before we knew that and afterwards, I still appreciate her. <laughs> but she's great. But, uh, yeah, let's say, I, I was going to say what, yeah, let me, I'll just get back on track. I think the one one thing that uh, that that is big for me in regards to, you know, like say the way that women basketball are appreciated, women basketball players are appreciated. Like when you look at the the relationships that they have with men's basketball players, like the W, like the W, or some of the biggest fans of WNBA are NBA players, and like because like you say, I think real recognize real ballers recognize other ballers. So it's like for me if the NBA guys can appreciate what they do and give it up for them, then, you know, some random guy with seven, seven numbers at the end of their, their, uh, their name on Twitter, you know, and an egg in their, in their, <laughs> you know, an egg on their, on their profile. I really don't care what you think, man, because, you know, I know LeBron James appreciates, who who women women's basketball players? I know Kobe Bryant appreciated women's basketball players. 
and and so on and so on. All these other compared, you know, you could. There's all these other stories you could tell about the unif the unified uh, relationship that one that one has. There, Kyrie Irving, you know, doing uh, lending support, financial support for uh, WNBA players who have decided to not play in the bubble uh, this year. It's, you know, stuff like that is is definitely that's the type of example that I would rather follow as a uh, observer and uh and uh, you know a, a basketball lover myself than you know what these other people do but but anyway let's let's get a, you know let's get back let's get to some you know just some on the court stuff and our our straight up appreciation of the game and what's going on now you know with the sky James you know the they the sky are, are playing tonight uh before you know we getting this done so you can uh, get you know you can uh, they say take notes on tonight's game against Phoenix and everything, and um, you know they're coming off a tough loss to Seattle, and you know Seattle they're they're top the WNBA right now they're you know doing 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 things they kind of gave you know kind of gave the sky a little bit of a lesson there the other day so what, what was your take on that game and what do you think about the sky overall and what they you know, what's up with them going into this game with Phoenix tonight? And, and talk about your relationship with Courtney Vanderson. Talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear that. I'll answer your question first, Kyle. The problem that this guy had last game is the problem they had getting back to 2019. Um, they are a second-half team, and you can't be a second-half team versus a team like the Storm. Um, you just can't. You have to play – all four quarters with the same type of energy. And the sky lacked that, honestly. The Storm really, they played bully ball in the first half, and the sky weren't really prepared to take on a challenge like that, honestly. But you saw in the second, like especially in the third quarter, where they really started bringing the same type of energy back that the Storm weren't giving them in the first half. And, you know, the sky that really struggled in the first quarter of the season, I think that's kind of something that I've been kind of worried about for this team. I think they're minus 15, uh, their net rating is minus 15 in the first quarter of this year. I mean, mm. you just can't, you're not going to hang around with a team like the Seattle Storm, which is on paper an all-time great team. That said, what caveat that I'm going to continue to bring up on the Skyhook and any show that I appear on with discussing the Sky is that this is a team that's without their superstar. Um, Diamond to Shields is on limited uh, it's on a minutes restriction right now, and sure. um, you know you, you need to have your all pro um, there ready for um, you know ready to lead the offense. And another huge part of this team is having Steph Dolson, not just someone who provides pregame uh, dancing and brings hmm. that energy that you know that just gets the team hyped, but so she's someone that stretches the floor at the five and is also someone who kind of gets the offense moving a little bit and someone who can facilitate at the top of the key. They've really, really missed that in these first seven games. And having her being able to maybe help out when the offense becomes a little bit stagnant, which we have seen, especially against the Mercury, where you see this guy taking a lot of contested shots in isolation. Um, you really, they really do miss Steph Dolson at the five, being able to do things that a lot of modern front court players players are able to do now um so it, she's probable tonight and since the sky waved 
Stella Johnson today. Um, and both sides are going to play. So I think they're going to Boston when they face a one of the best players in uh, in the league in Brittany Ryan, or at least talent wise. Um, yeah. So it could be a real true night spell. I mean, they are with Diana Drossi pretty hardly. Let us for them too, not having to go against someone who, who is <laughs> just a lethal scorer, obviously. But um, we need to step back. Really, what help this whole thing is on the front with the season. I'm glad. I'm glad you brought up Steph Dawson. I like her game, and I think she brought a lot to the team. You good, you good, you good guys. <laughs> okay, but I, I think I, I like her game from last year, and like like you say, the energy that she brings on and off the court, uh, yeah, Big Mama Steph and all that. That's she. She definitely seems like a person who helps stir the drink for that team. And and you know, Diamond is just like you say, a, a, a definite baller, uh, a, a great talent, and you know. How, what's her status going forward right now? Is she like day to day? I guess you just you know you go where you stand is, is the best way to put it. Even though that sounds more confusing, it's it's day to day. Like you said, the team is kind of seeing where she's at. Uh, the last I was on the press conference with Coach Wade, she had just played I think twenty eight minutes in that game. That was a couple games ago, and she made a couple of plays that were more diamond-esque. She had two threes in that game where she got some nice elevation on a jump shot. But he said, you know, it's going to see how we're going to have, you know, see how our knee feels the day, the next day, the day after that, the day after that. So they're in the midst of 10 games in 18 days playing every other day for 10 straight contests. So I would expect to see her in her minutes somewhat limited over the next few days at least, because they really don't get a break until they play New York at the tail end of that stretch. And even, you know, in this season, a season like this, the Liberty Army team you can sleep on either when you need to to win as many games as possible. So uh, the thing with Diamond is you're losing a fast break partner for um, anybody else on the court, whether it's her and Kalia, whether Sloop Stone outlets, whether Quickly Stone the outlets. You're losing some mid-range, um, some mid-range opportunities, and you're losing one of your... Uh, most, especially for a team like this guy, you're, you're losing one of your most consistent um, drawer of fouls. Uh, Diamond was the best team on the team last year at drawing fouls and getting free throw opportunities. And this year so far, Cheyenne Parker, mostly just because she's keeping her head below the rim uh, for offensive chances and uh, defensive chances as well. So the Sky have always had a problem since James Wade's tenure started last year at getting to the free throw line and without Diamond at 100%, she's a little more hesitant on drives to the lane where she knows she can't get up and elevate over people. And the referees, you know, for whichever reason, they're just going to be more likely to call an offensive foul on that rather than a block. And defenders can have, have a better opportunity to get in front rather than where they, where they would be late with her speed and with her elevation. So like James said, it's hard without your superstar. And I think considering that they're five and three and could be six and two, and if you take that Minnesota game into account, 
they're in a pretty good spot. Yeah, yeah. This overall, they they, they definitely had a good start. Do you think though, on some level, especially given you know that the game last week was a little chippy with Phoenix, do you think that they need to make a bit of a statement tonight? They have to, yeah. I mean, even when they beat the Sun a couple of games ago, um, it wasn't the cleanest performance. Again, on offense, it was they were humming a little bit more than they were before, but 93 points to the Sun in a season where they are just struggling to shoot, and you know they're even losing to the wings as we speak. I have to check in on that in a sec. Um, I mean, that's a team that's just not ready to – the Sun, it's just not a team that's ready to compete at a high level this season after last year. And the Missouri uh, so much. They are. It's such a shame because she, I thought she could have won MVP this year after her performance last year, honestly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the sky, again, they're scuffling a little bit, but I think they went through a really tough practice yesterday. Um, the press conference after practice was delayed by like 45 minutes because I think everyone was just trying to catch up after that rigorous practice. So, you know, I think I think they're ready heading into this game, though. You really can't – again, Steph being on the court, I think, provides just a completely different presence that, you know, they've, lo- they've lost their composure at some points during these games, especially against that first Mercury game where – they just, I mean, they stated after the game, like, we got to be able to figure it out on the court and not, uh, you know, I don't know, just, like, lose their heads a little bit. You know, they sure. have to stay a little bit more steady, and having that leader in Steph Dolson, who's just been there since the Elena Deladon trade, I mean, it's just so valuable. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think they, they're actually going to win tonight. Um, again, they don't have Diana Taurasi. The Mercury don't have Diana Taurasi. Um, and... You know, if it's just going to be the Brittany Griner show, we've seen in the past that that's not necessarily a recipe for success. So I think this guy pulled out tonight. Okay. So, so what's what, – what, uh, really, really big for them. Sorry, go ahead, Kyle. But I, I just want to see what's, what's this about James and Vanderson. <laughs> there's no – there's nothing here. The only thing no, is there's, there's a rift. There is yeah. a rift. Wow. Cause, cause she, she, she a bit of a G, especially if you mess with Quigs. You know, she showed, she don't play around with a girl. Well, the thing about Courtney Vandersloot is that one, she's the most underrated point guard, in my opinion, in basketball history. I mean, what she's been able to do in this league and overseas is just incredible. And she, you know, she's only a two-time All Star, and she's led the league in assists by like two assists in each in the past four seasons, and. So then she only had one all-star nod last year in that four-year span. So mm. um, she reached the all-star game in 2011, her rookie year. Uh, not her rookie year. Uh, actually, yeah, no, it is her rookie year. So, um, you know, she just doesn't get the appreciation she deserves <laughs> in terms of what Chris was saying. Um, I mean, this year I've just put my foot in my mouth with Courtney Vanderstein during these press conferences. I've had three questions oh, okay. that I wish I could rephrase. Uh, not that because they were um, – ill-intended at all. I mean, again, they were so harmless, but the way that I phrased them, I think she's got a little fed up with me, especially yesterday. <laughs> uh, but no, she doesn't know my name. I'm sure that it's uh, it's totally fine. But um, yeah, I have nothing but appreciation for Sloot, and again, it will always be someone who uh, advocates her game because she's she blows me away. I mean, one of the best memories I have covering this team is when she recorded her, the seventh triple-double in WNBA history. Um, yeah, I think that was a game where defense wasn't played and Slit was just able to 
grab rebounds, dish uh, up to her teammates, and uh, get to the get to the rim. But um, yeah, no, I mean again, nothing but appreciation for Courtney Vandersloot. <laughs> All right, well, let let it be known. It's it's no beef, Courtney. It's you, know, but you, I I know you know it. it things can turn on on a on on a dime in 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 press conferences, and and that can happen when you're seeing them face to face. So I'm sure there's a certain awkwardness that's involved when you're doing these teleconferences and stuff now, and they're in the bubble and they may be agitated at certain points, especially may, maybe after a loss or something. So, you know, I, 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 can, I can understand that uh, pretty clearly. Well, I just appreciate in these press conferences that are held virtually that she can't match my face with my idiocy, too, in those questions. <laughs> so, like, I, I appreciate that more than anything else. But, yeah, no, I mean, the dynamic is completely – Chris, you can speak to this as well. It's just – it's so different being – Doing this over, you know, your phone or your computer versus being able to, for them to see your face and like just have a conversation with them only five feet away. I mean, has that been weird for you, Chris? Yeah, I, I know that James and I had some conversations earlier on in the season when we were just starting out, um, just in how the, the questions were were decided, how the order of questions were decided. But I think that's the least of it. Really, it's just not being in the room with people like you say. Um, because, I mean, you've been in the room at Wintrust, the big room that we have for the, for the playoff game, or the small room that we had for the usual press conferences. It's just kind of different. From, from a fan perspective, it's still just really cool to be sitting like five or six feet away from professional athletes who just came off the court, and then they're answering questions, especially if it's somebody like Cheyenne who's always got jokes. It's like you just put up like, you know, you just put in 30 minutes and you were like battling for rebounds and then you're cracking jokes. So yeah. it's that's just really cool in itself. But getting used to kind of being waiting and being called on and then you've got to hit the unmute button. you got to remember that, that, that it's unmuted. Kyle and I, we, we know. <laughs> yes. As Josh yeah. uh, and, and Drew, we know what's going on with that too. Yeah. It's, it's I think the distance is is tough, and the, I mean the player said that. Courtney talked about how nothing's gonna uh, be like playing at Wintrust in front of the Sky fans and playing on the road too. So the players feel it; they're kind of getting used to it. Uh, but it's it's there's a distance between that, and then there's kind of a close distance uh, with everybody else they see. Diamond put up on Instagram on her uh, Instagram story today, and she's like, it's. She said it's kind of gotten old, not not an exact quote, but it's kind of gotten old. She, like, you come up and you see the same people day after day after day. So I think we're all feeling the, uh, the differences of the season. Like, we're covering the sport, and this is journalists. We're interacting with each other, but we're not seeing each other on even a semi-regular basis like we would normally. So that would be... Uh... On, that'll be on this episode of Running as well on on Anchor. Go ahead. I think um, I mean if bringing bringing that many teams is a waste of time, and the East only brought nine, so for the Wizards to come and lose every game, I can't defend the Eastern Conference anymore, man. It's top heavy. It's just another it's another top heavy year for the East, and that's a, that's a shame. I mean. <laughs> 
I wouldn't go. Like, like, you didn't, you didn't want to see Boylan. <laughs> no. But you guys didn't want to see Boylan navigate the bubble. That would have been pure entertainment. I would, I would have, I would have loved to see that and turn that in. Because I mean, either way, it's either that or you just hear Chuck and Shaq talk how bad the Bulls are that whole time. <laughs> I feel like that would have been hilarious to me. But <laughs> as far as the Wizards, I mean. The Wizards were screwed when they signed John Wall to that big ass contract, and he was still mm-hmm. on, and he, and he and he was having injuries, and eventually had that Achilles injury. That's what really killed him the most because you dreamed of the backcourt of having John Wall and Bradley Beal, and there at that time when that contract was signed, there were already questions even then about whether they can coexist. And for moments, it showed that they can, and. Unfortunately, by the time that happened, that's when John Wall had that Achilles injury. And the fact that we have the pandemic and all that stuff, you weren't going to see John Wall this year. So because of that, at this point, if I was Bradley Beal at this point, I would literally sit here and question, do I really need to stay here? Am I really wasting my time here, period? To me, the answer is yes. He should have been gone. But... He's, he's very similar to a Damian Lillard type of guy. He's loyal to the franchise that stayed with him. And Washington drafted him. He thrived in D.C. D.C. is like another home to him. So I can yeah. see why he stayed, and I can see why his loyalty is there. And he wants to take that route where he wants to build something in D.C., which is something that hasn't been done before. But there's a reason why the Wizards are still the Wizards. I mean, the, the history speaks for itself. So at the end of the day, you just have to question whether or not if, if John Wall's going to stay, because at this point he got that massive contract. He ain't going nowhere. It's hard to trade that. You just with Bernie Bill being the most lucrative contract out that team, you just wonder if he really should just step on out and move somewhere else. That's where that's kind of where how I feel it should go at this point. You think he could be that 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 additional star that maybe Phoenix could add? Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. But the question is, because he's so ball dominant like Devin Booker, who are you going to have to help? How would your lineups would be with that type of structure? Um, I think Cameron Johnson and Mikel Bridges fit so well because fit well with Devin Booker just because they're not ball dominant. They don't need the ball. They can just mm-hmm. spot up, shoot the three, and play defense on the other end and, and cover Devin Booker. Bradley Beal is a, is a nonstop, almost 30-point-a-game score and he scores very similarly to what Devin Booker would. So you just wonder how that would mesh offensively. Um especially since Devin Booker doesn't need the ball as much as Bradley Beal. So I think ideally if they could work that out, that would be great. But I just don't see how that would work. Okay. Well Chris Chris you gotta you gotta dip you say? Yeah I gotta jump off. Um last thing I'll say is that I, I don't see anybody the Clippers kind of threw me for a loop. They 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 seem to get they they seem to kind of bog themselves down. Remember when we were on the podcast with Ricky asking which Paul Pierce uh sorry, Paul Pierce which Paul George is going to show up, and we haven't seen the the Paul George of uh, those Indiana teams that really pushed Miami yet. So it might be LeBron and the Lakers title to lose. Honestly, to me, it. I had a small argument about Giannis the other day um, at softball practice, and he did not develop the the 
range on his jump shot that he needs. He needs. He absolutely needs to get a longer range on his jump shot because he's headbutting people right now. He's not too worried about a jump shot. <laughs> for, for sure, but watching, even though the Milwaukee beat Boston, watching Boston bottle him up with Marcus Smart was unconscionable to me. Like, I love Giannis, and that's saying something considering how much of a uh, rival Milwaukee has been with Chicago over the years. I love Giannis, but he can't get stopped by a guy like Marcus Smart. He can't get deed up by somebody six or seven inches shorter than him. And until he gets a, a further out on his jump shot, the way the NBA is today, Milwaukee ain't going nowhere. All right. Well, me, me and Josh going to go over the matchups in a minute here in the East. I, I appreciate I appreciate that that uh, thinking. I think Milwaukee's going to, like I said, they got to do some re, re-examining too uh, over the course of this early part of postseason. I think they'll have at least the first two rounds to re-examine themselves, but they got to come through, I think, in the finals and, and get um, at least get to the finals if they want to keep uh, Giannis happy up there in uh, in Cheeseland. So we'll see. But Chris, man, thanks for jumping on, and uh, we'll we'll holler back at you next week, man. Hey, pick up Finna by Nate Marshall, classic book. I'll see y'all. No doubt. All right, Chris. <laughs> All right.